0: Morning, everyone. Just a reminder, just for those who will be here next week, who won't be at church camp. Um, obviously, it will be uh, fairly sparse next week in terms of uh, folk here, but uh, I know there will be a number of folks still here. Uh, next week we'll have a um, music team from Rivers Church of Christ who have uh, generously offered their time to come and, uh, and assist in uh, as you praise and worship God next week. And I can I ask that uh, those who are here, would you please make them feel welcome? Would you uh, please uh, express your gratitude and the gratitude of our church to them, as I will myself, but uh, it will be good to come from all of you who are still here next week and uh, pray that um, that will be a, uh, a wonderful time as you, uh, as you gather here and we will be thinking of you very much as we're away at camp. If you've got your Bibles there, please keep them open to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to uh, pray and then we're going to look at this passage together. Father, this morning, as we continue on in this series of uh, the purpose of uh, the North Pine Baptist Church, why we exist, what we're meant to be about for you, Lord, we ask that you would uh, indeed just uh, bless our time together now. We pray that that you would speak through me by your spirit, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help our ears and our hearts be open to what you would say to us. But Lord, more than that, would you help us to obey those things you say to us? we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago I had, um, or actually probably going right the way back to uh, just after I became a uh, a believer in Jesus, that that I was introduced to a particular parable. It was a modern parable called the Parable of the Life-Saving Station. Anyone ever heard it? Oh, a couple of people. Alright. Well, essentially, this modern parable basically describes the story of a group of people who lived near this rugged piece of coastline and, uh, and around that particular area, there was a lot of ships that, that would often get into trouble and people would, uh, they would start to sink and people would be, uh, would be there drowning in the ocean. And so these, these people would go out there in their lifeboats and they would rescue these people from, from drowning and, and bring them to the shore and take care of them and look after them. Well, after a while, there was a number of people who sort of got word of what these people were doing and thought it's such a really admirable thing to be a part of that they wanted to go along and be a part of the, a part of that group as well. And so they built a little life-saving station there on the beach and, uh, and they sort of started to, uh, to help in these activities of rescuing these people when, uh, when these people were in distress. Well, as time went on, they sort of thought, well, you know, we can sort of probably build a, a, a bit of a nicer building and we can, you know, sort of have some better uh, kind of facilities and that sort of things here. So they invested in some, uh, some better equipment and some, uh, you know, some lovely, uh, you know, some lovely new boats and things like that. And they conducted surf boat drills and training, and uh, they had surf carnivals to sort of see who was going to be the best at uh, at, at, at rescuing people. They even opened up a great restaurant so that members could, you know, in, in the uh, life saving station, so members could, you know, be well fed and, and be comfortable there. But generally, uh, what happened over time is that uh, as time went on, and they sort of, you know, had all these wonderful things to enjoy themselves, they they gradually lost focus of what their initial purpose was all about. Instead, they sort of began to be more concerned about their own activities and who they let in rather than, who, you know, rather than you know, who they were actually there for in the first place. They wanted to make things more comfortable for themselves. Eventually, even though they still had a few of their number going out and rescuing souls who were perishing, the vast majority grew indifferent to their original purpose and more and more sailors drowned. Hmm. Interesting little parable, isn't it? What that parable is meant to convey, if you hadn't picked up on the message, is that as the church, that is the worldwide church in general, those who belong to the body of Jesus Christ, we should be in the business of helping to save souls. People who are going to a Christless eternity. Instead, though, there's an argument to be made that uh, we've become more focused on the things that make us feel more good about ourselves And in general, we've lost sight of the original mission. Yes, we're happy to go by the name Christian, to call ourselves disciples of Jesus, to attend church and Bible studies and things like that. But are we really doing what Jesus has called us to do as his followers? Are we really about the essential business that Jesus first had in mind where he called his disciples back there in the first century to follow him and has called disciples ever since then to follow him. What I want to point out to us this morning is this. The message we're going to be focusing on is this. The genuine disciples of Jesus Christ are also disciple-makers. That's what we're called to be, disciple-makers Disciples who indeed disciple others, and if we have no desire in our hearts to be disciple makers, you know that is to to actively seek to, to to participate in this particular activity as members of the body of Christ. Then the question needs to be asked: Are we truly disciples of Jesus Christ? Are we genuine disciples of Jesus? The New Testament makes it clear that Jesus' intention was that people would become his disciples, that he would call people to follow him, to believe in him and his message of salvation, to experience forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, the promise of eternal life. But Jesus' purpose in calling people to be his disciples was not just that they could be associated with him and enjoy the benefits, but that they would also become part of his ongoing mission of seeing others come to a saving relationship, to know and experience this relationship with God and to know the blessing that comes with that. When Jesus called the first disciples in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, he said this. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. In other words, he's saying, not only do I want you to be my disciples, but I want you to be disciple makers. Now, you might ask, well, what is a disciple? Well, let me answer that this morning in relation to our church purpose statement, which we've been looking at over the past several weeks. And we've seen that the North Pine Baptist Church, as part of the overall church of God, exists for the purpose of worshipping God and proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the purpose of, or in order that, people... That is people outside of these walls as well as inside these walls might come to know him personally. Might, they might also come to follow him obediently and then to serve him faithfully. In other words, a disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who knows Jesus in a personal way, who have come to encounter the risen Jesus Christ in their lives, who have been had their minds and their hearts enlightened to the truth of the gospel, that we are sinners in need of a saviour and that we need to be reconciled to God because of our sin. And that having put our faith and trust in Jesus, he reconciles us to God, brings us into the family of God, makes us blessed, but then calls us to to live within that special relationship. As we just pointed out in the prayer just before, that you are a chosen people, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you might proclaim the, the excellencies of his glory. Once you were not a people who received mercy, but now you are a people who have received mercy. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. A personal living relationship with with Jesus. You You have encountered Jesus in such a way that he has had a transforming impact on your life by the power of his Holy Spirit. Not only is a disciple is someone who knows Jesus personally, but they also want to then show their love for Jesus through obedience to him and his word. They follow him obediently. That is, that Jesus has that place of authority in our lives. That when we read the Bible and when Jesus gives us these commands in his Bible, it's not up for us to then say, hmm, well really should I really follow this? If we were all in the army this morning and we were given an order by our commanding general to go and do something, we would not have a choice. It would be, yes, sir, and we would do it. Jesus is our saviour. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as such, he is the one with all authority... As we saw in Matthew's gospel at the end, where he says, All authority in heaven and earth is mine. Therefore, with that authority, Jesus says, I'm sending you to go and make disciples. We are to serve him. We are to to follow him obediently. And that, you know, coupled with that is the willingness then to serve Jesus faithfully. that our heart's desire is to want to serve the one whom we love, whom we desire. We sang a song this morning, Psalm 62. So you are our desire and our great reward. We sang those songs. Nearly every voice in this place this morning, every mouth in this place, sang those words, you are my desire, you are my great reward. Are we just singing those words just for the sake of singing them? Or do we really mean that from our hearts this morning? Is Jesus indeed our greatest desire today? Do we see him as our great reward this morning? A disciple of Jesus is someone who knows him personally, follows him obediently and serves him faithfully. So as we think about this call on our lives as disciples of Jesus, I want to look this morning at the the example of the Apostle Paul who helps us to discover some principles of what it means to be not just a disciple but a disciple-maker. And we find this in this passage this morning read to us from 1 Colossians, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 29. And the first point is this, that disciple-makers are joyfully... Willing to suffer for the cause of making disciples. Verse 24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Paul says he rejoices in his sufferings for your sake, for the sake of the believers, for the sake of the church, for the sake of those who will come to know Jesus Christ in this personal way. Paul suffered much for Christ in his church. You've only got to look at a passage like 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul you know, goes on and he lists all of these things which, which he suffered in the name of Jesus Christ. He laboured to the point of exhaustion. He endured imprisonments, beatings, stonings, floggings to within an inch of his life. He endured shipwrecks and all kinds of dangers. He went without sleep. He went without food. He went without water. He endured extreme cold and exposure. And daily he bore the anxiety of all the churches. That's what Paul was willing to suffer for Christ and for his church. Here in verse 24, he says that in his flesh or in his body, he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of Christ's body, the church. Now, as you read that statement, you think, hang on a minute, that doesn't sound right. Surely there was nothing lacking in Christ's afflictions for his church, was there? Well, no, there wasn't. So what on earth is Paul saying here in this passage, in this verse? What Paul is trying to say is that in his own suffering, in his suffering in his body, he's actually filling up the affliction that was intended for Christ. That if Christ was still there at that particular point in time, a physical person on earth, then people would continue to, to afflict him and pour out their wrath and their vengeance and their opposition towards Christ. Paul is saying that unbelievers and opponents of Christ and his gospel will continue to take, want to take out their anger on Christ, but seeing as Christ is no longer here in a physical presence, who do they take it out on? They take it out on his followers. And so Paul is saying that as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, I gladly and willingly and joyfully take on those afflictions, those sufferings, that opposition for Jesus Christ and for his church. That was, his, that was his heart. He was actually suffering on behalf of Christ. And Paul rejoiced in this. Do we as believers today find it a source of joy when we face opposition from those who, who, who are dead set in opposition against Jesus and his church and his word? Paul could rejoice in this because he saw the big picture. Matthew chapter 5, 11 and 12 says this. It says, Blessed are you. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Paul sees himself in this long line of followers of Jesus Christ who have borne that that persecution and that affliction and that suffering gladly for Christ's name. That he might be exalted, that he might be glorified in and through them. And Paul himself sees that he is indeed blessed to be counted among this number, to suffer for the sake of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 to 14. The apostle writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. But if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Wow. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial. As though it was sort of something strange or something, you know, unusual. It will be the norm and it will continue to be the norm and it will become more and more the norm in our world today. But as we suffer for the name of Christ, let us rejoice and be glad because through us his glory will be revealed. And if we are insulted for the name of Christ, we are to see ourselves as being blessed because the spirit of glory and of God will rest upon us. Paul was willing to suffer for Christ and for his church. See, Paul so loved other believers that he would gladly sacrifice for them. It's a bit like a parent's willingness to sacrifice for their children. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? The sacrifices we make for our children and we do so gladly and willingly. How more so should we do it for Christ? So can I ask you this morning, how willing and how much joy will you find in expending time and energy and even blood, sweat and tears in making disciples and seeing Christ's church built up? How willing are you? Disciple makers are joyfully willing to suffer for the cause of making disciples. Disciple makers also consider themselves foremost servants of Christ. In verse twenty five, Paul says, Of which they're talking about the church and of Christ, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Paul sees himself as a minister here. That word minister is a is a in the original language means a servant. It is the Greek word diakonos from which we get the word the name deacon which is just a, a very very um you know big name for for a servant someone who serves and who serves in a very common and uh and uh and humble way who is willing just to do whatever needs to be done as i said it implies a commonness a humility but also a selflessness Paul viewed himself, in fact, in a number of ways, as a minister, as a slave, as a servant, as well as an apostle. Paul's ultimate allegiance was always in service to Christ, always. The task that was given to him in that then was to make the word of God fully known. He said, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but it is, which has now been revealed to His saints, to all those who have come to a saving faith in Him. By the Spirit of God, it has been revealed this mystery that Christ now lives in you through His Spirit. Christ in you, the hope. Of glory, he says. What Paul is saying here is that the message of salvation is found in no one else but Jesus Christ. Look in verse 28, he says, Him, it is Him that we proclaim. Nothing else, no one else, just Christ. It is Him we proclaim. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5, where he says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He's talking about this new, this new life that is ours in Jesus Christ through coming to such to a saving faith in him. And then he goes on to say that all this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to himself. Christ has reconciled us to himself through his sacrifice, through his willingness to give everything he had, his life, he would give for each and every one of us in order that we might be reconciled to God. And then he, Paul goes on to say, and in that he says, he then has given us this ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us Sorry, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, that through us, God is making his appeal. And so we go out there with this message, imploring people on behalf of Christ that they would be reconciled to God. We see an example of what it means to make this word of God fully known in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Let me go back there for a second. Where Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now this wasn't just Paul's words just to Timothy, who obviously was gonna, was, was a pastor in his church, but it is Paul's word to every single person who calls himself a disciple of Jesus Christ. That we are to be out there preaching the word and being ready. In season and out of season, whether we, you know, whether it's, you know, a good time or a bad time. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. If we are going to be disciple makers who consider themselves foremost servants of Christ, this is the ministry to which Christ has called us. That we proclaim him. He's our message. He is the only hope of people in our world today. He is our only hope. Again, we sung about that this morning. God, I think that the grant, I think the Spirit of God was was there with you know in, in the whole preparation of things this week. Our only hope is Him. Disciple makers also make it their primary goal to present everyone mature in Christ. See so the goal of being a disciple and a disciple maker is Christian maturity, folks. Christian maturity. If we see a child and a child doesn't develop properly, you know it doesn't grow physically, it doesn't grow socially, it doesn't grow emotionally or in a cognitive sense, then we automatically see that there's something wrong, don't we? And we seek to try to get to the bottom of why that is the case. And we'll go to doctors and physicians and all kinds of people in order to to get to the bottom of why that is. We know that something isn't right. Well folks, it's the same from a spiritual perspective too. If a person isn't growing in their spirit, in spiritual maturity, if they're not growing, you know, to be more and more Christ-like in their faith, you know, if there's not a more, a more willing desire in their hearts to want to, uh, to know God in a more intimate and personal way, to want to, you know, uh, to want to follow Him, you know, follow Him faithfully and serve Him faithfully, Then we've got to ask the question well, why? There's something wrong. There needs to be a growth to maturity. Hebrews 6 1 says this Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. Paul writes, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That might be a revelation to you this morning, that in fact it is the work of the saints for ministry. It is the role of of the pastors, teachers, shepherds, evangelists, those sort of people, in order to equip you. That is my job. And the reason why is for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. That means we are to grow to the measure of the stature of all of the fullness of Christ that we may no longer be children, spiritual children, Tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Because if we don't grow spiritually, then we are at the, sorry, we are at the mercy of all of the stuff that's going on and all of the the rubbish that's getting taught out there in the world today and particularly still in, even in God's church today. We just become, you know, just, just pawns in that whole game and we just, you know, accept all, all this stuff willy-nilly. Paul says, but rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. For it is from him the whole body joined and held together by every joint by which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, that makes the body grow. And in that way we are built up in love. You see what Paul is writing there in that passage? Just in those half a dozen verses there, he makes so clear what we as the church are meant to be about. That each and every one of us, God placed us in the body of Christ so that we could be made spiritually mature. By the interactions that take place within the body, as each part uses, as each person uses their gifts and their abilities and their talents that God has given them, as we interact with each other, as we serve together, then God uses that to build us all up. You wonder why we get up here sometimes on a Sunday and announcements and we say, we need people to do this. We need people to serve in this ministry or that ministry or, it's not because we just like running ministries here at the church, folks. It's because we want to see God's kingdom expanded and we want to see each and every person in this church grow to a spiritual maturity in Christ. So serving is not just for the church's benefit, it's for your benefit. Am I getting my point across? The work of the saints is to build up the body of Christ in order that we all may attain spiritual maturity. That is Christ's goal for us that we all grow in maturity, in spiritual maturity, becoming more and more Christ-like. And like I said, it only occurs in the context of being part of the body of Christ. And that's why it's so important that we continually and regularly fellowship together. When a Christian isolates themselves from the church, that is wrong. That is unhealthy. And that is at their detriment and the detriment of the church, the body of Christ. Now, this accomplishing the goal of spiritual maturity in that goal or in in trying to accomplish that goal, we are to use every means possible. Paul says in verse 29, in verse 28, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this, Paul says, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul says, he mentions this word toil. That means hard work, folks. It means we are willing to exert an awful amount of energy and work and, and, and that sort of thing in order to accomplish this goal to which Christ has called us. They str- we are to struggle, we are to strive. In fact, we are to agonise with this. That's how much how important it is in the life of the church today that we toil, that we struggle, we strive, we agonise, we pour out ourselves and we do it in utter dependence upon God that we do our part and most importantly we rely on God to do his part because that's what Paul says, that he struggles with all his energy God's energy that he powerfully works within me God supplies the power for ministry. We can do nothing on our own, as we read in John chapter 15 and verse 5. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Your role is to bear fruit. But the only way that you're going to bear fruit is by being attached to the vine, by being attached with Jesus. Whoever abides in Jesus, whoever, whoever is attached to Jesus, whoever you know, looks to him and remains firmly in him, Jesus says, he it is that bears much fruit. Now, that's a wonderful promise for us today as, as believers, that as we abide in Jesus, Jesus promises that in us much fruit will come. Now, isn't that just a reason in itself to want to get out there and serve Christ with all we've got? Yep. Thanks, Bree. But he says, but apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's got to be in conjunction with Jesus Christ. It's got to be in utter dependence upon him as we strive. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, Paul says exactly the same thing. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation. There's our job, to work it out. Work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Our role, God's role, I get annoyed when I hear things about, you know, when I hear people say, let go and let God. That's not what it's about, folks. It is we do our part and God does His part. And as we do our part, we utterly rely upon Him and depend upon Him to accomplish His work within us. Our ministry for God in being disciples and making disciples is always a partnership. All right. You've heard me up here this morning speaking with a great deal of passion. Folks, my heart is for you. But more than my heart being for you, God's heart is for you. God wants to to use you. He wants to see you grow. He wants to bring about incredible fruit for the kingdom of God within your life. He wants you to see the power of God wonderfully working in your life day by day. He wants to, to use you and he wants to see you become a channel for his blessing to people all around about you. But he can only do that as you are willing to say, I'm yours. I'm yours. And what he wants us to do is he wants us to be involved in this disciple-making process, to see the kingdom of God built up, to see the body of Christ built up so that we all reach that maturity in Christ that we all experience more and more that blessing and that grace and that glory of God working in us and through us. Doesn't that excite you? Please tell me that excites you, folks, because if it doesn't, why are you here? Why are you here? I mean that. If that doesn't excite you, why are you here? You may as well just not bother on a Sunday. You may as well not bother with God. The heart of a genuine disciple is to be a disciple maker. It requires a heart of sincere Christ-like love. A love for God in surrendering our lives to his purposes of being willing to say, you know what, Lord, no sacrifice on my part is too big for you because no sacrifice on your part was too big for me. And it involves a love for our neighbour in wanting to see them come to know God in a personal way and then to grow in spiritual maturity. That's what it's about, folks. I can't make it any clearer than that this morning. You call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, then this is what it's about. It's not about just coming along here on a Sunday and just going away feeling better about yourself because you've ticked a box and attended church today. Oh, God owes me big this week because I was there for him this morning. It's about being willing to lay down our lives hour by hour day by day for our saviour Jesus Christ that's what it's all about so are you prepared to do that we're starting a new year this year folks 2016 we're already halfway through February what are you going to do to serve God this year What willing and joyful sacrifice are you prepared to make for him in order that his purposes might be accomplished in this world today? Are you prepared to say that, my Lord, no sacrifice is too big? If you are, we're going to sing a song in a minute. It's a beautiful hymn. Grant, you want to bring the team up? And if you're prepared to do that this morning, if you're prepared to come to God and say, you know what, Lord, I am willing this year, I am now, this is going to be my commitment to you today, I am going to lay it. I'm going to say to you, Lord, I want to lay down my life for you that you might use me for your glory this year. That I might be committed to growing in spiritual maturity, not just as an individual, but together corporately as God's church here in this place. If you're willing to do that, I want you to come and stand down the front this morning. I want you to make a public declaration before God's people and before God this morning that you're ready to do that. That you're ready to say, "My God, I am prepared to do what you want to do and go to do what you want me to do and go where you want me to go, to be the person that you want me to be." Because it is in that that we will find blessing, folks. It is only in that that we will find blessing in this world. Let's pray. Father, you're such a gracious God. You're such a gracious God. You're so patient with us. You're so faithful to us, even when we are not faithful to you. You gently nurture us and encourage us. Lord, you want what's best for us in our lives. But most importantly, Lord, you want your glory to be revealed to this world through your people. And we are your people. Lord, this morning, would you please just challenge us afresh in our hearts about being people who are willing just to lay down everything for you. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here that Lord, this morning that this you would just today would be perhaps a watershed moment in their life, in their heart today for you. That from this point on, Lord, there is going to be they're going to turn over a new leaf with your help, and that Lord, Lord, together as a church here in this place, we are going to be committed together to serve you and to do that willingly and sacrificially. pray, Lord, that, uh, that you might, through your Spirit, use us, bless us, encourage us, equip us. Lord, that your glory might be known, that, that we may proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ, who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Folks, if that's your prayer this morning, I invite you to come forward now. Come forward. Allow God to do that work in your heart that he wants you to do today. Thanks, guys.